I was my first real jump was corporate sales. And right across the street from 54th and Broadway is Bad Boy. So the bravado and the, to me, the discipline of an athlete, I just walked right up into Bad Boy. Can I speak to the AR person? And made a pitch. And that was my first big contract was Bad Boy. And I was like, yeah, it'd be a great opportunity for all your coworkers or your workers. You know, we live right, we're right across the street. Once they work, they can shower, go right back to work, or they can come before they actually go to work. And you know, a lot more productive based on, you know, all the science behind fitness. And they would just bring me bags of Bad Boy stuff. Man, that was just, you know, that was my first real big hit. Our stories are what make us unique, but they're also what connect us as human beings. It's time to stop talking and start listening. This is You Talk, I'll Listen with Shannon Chapman. My guest this week hails from Queens, New York. He has gone from a professional athlete as a player in the NBA and overseas to a black entrepreneur with Orange Theory and Redline Athletics. A 2018 statistic says that 60% of NBA players go broke within five years of leaving the league. And you have managed not to become part of that statistic. Beautiful thing. Yes. So I'm interested in hearing about making that transition from the league and how you got into what you're doing today. So welcome, Abdul Fox. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity just to, I guess, share some conversation, conversation with you. Um, it's weird. My tra- transition from the league, I almost think, happened for a reason. Uh, I was the last cut of the Chicago Bulls. Uh, the year Michael Jordan came back in 96, so Dennis Rodman's first year. Uh, the team went 72-10. and 10. So I got released, i say a little bit before midseason, and I actually went home uh, upset, you know, angry at the league, you know, blaming everyone else, probably except myself. But that was just a tough team to make. But if you remember, that was the year of the Million Man March. And my dad at the time was wanted to go. And I remember seeing him on the couch and said, Dad, I thought you wanted to go to the Million Man March. Well, I didn't think he was going to be here. So on a whim, I said, hey, you know, let's go. And uh, I remember my, my mom driving us to Port Authority. And it was kind of ironic. Uh, it was a bunch of men on a bus. And the person leading us to the Million Man March was a female driver. So it was just some iconic things just had my mind rolling as we went to this event. And a long story short, it was definitely a million people. I run into a kid I grew up with on my block, takes a picture of me and my dad. My dad, unfortunately, passed away two weeks later. So had I not got cut from the Bulls, I don't think I would have ever experienced that opportunity with my father, such a, a magnitude of event. So from there, I, I went to Europe kicking and screaming, and believe it or not, my first job overseas was in the south of France, living in Antibes and Nice and Cannes. Monte Carlo was in my backyard. Uh, to be honest with you, I was like, I'm never coming home. I, I fell in love with that experience, the opportunity to see the world, uh, you know, experience different culture, different food, and still play at a high level of basketball. I, I didn't really need the notoriety that you knew me if I was in the NBA, as long as the money went in my account every month. I seemed fine with, with living overseas. So I really embraced that next chapter of, you know, European being my lifestyle, an event when my father passed, I had to take care of the family. 
So that was sort of my transition from the NBA to somewhat what they say, someone who lives overseas. But it was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I'm a quiet kid from Queens. I lived in the south of France, Italy, Spain, Cyprus, Israel, Taiwan, Turkey, Lugano, Switzerland. I mean, just a magnitude of places. So when I look at my passport, I'm like, wow, I really did something. So that was sort of my transition, I would guess, from the league to being overseas. And it was absolutely phenomenal. So I have to ask you. (laughs) <laughs> I know you get this question all the time. What was it like playing with Jordan? You know what? It it was intense. The first, I say, two or three months, I actually kept a journal on my interaction with him. Uh, he told me to turn the music down one day, uh, set up for me to go to his restaurant for, for dinner, and a, a player of mine, another teammate, Ronnie McMahon, for some reason, we didn't go. And he was just extremely pissed that he set up a restaurant, his personal room, Here's these two rookies, and we don't go and enjoy dinner on him. He basically took it out on, took it out on me on practice. So, but it was just amazing to watch him be the first one in, the last one to leave, and the work ethic and just the, the skill set. You, it was almost like when he walked in the room, everything was slow motion. It's like, okay, <laughs> there he goes. Took a step, he walked into the locker, man. But I was fortunate; my locker was right next to his. So the the craziest story I have about that is. The year before he came back, he wore number 45. He gave me all his practice stuff for number 45. Oh, that's crazy. I didn't think to save it. I went home to the hood and gave it out to all the cats that I grew up with. Not thinking, because you never think it's going to end, and you you almost know you belong. So it wasn't like, okay, I got to hoard this. Only thing I do have is a pair of those patent leather Nikes that came out. He signed for me. So he gave me two pair. I got those at the house. But in hindsight, I didn't even, you know, I didn't even think to save that stuff. He's like, I don't want shit with number 45. It was a terrible year. That's the year they lost. Then he came back the next year and went back to 23. That was just one of those funny, iconic stories that I remember. So what is it like when, like, your career is basketball? Like, basketball is life. What is that like? It's funny. I always remember basketball not wanting to define me. It was my job. I still wanted to be a good son. I still wanted to be a big brother. Uh, so it was ups and downs because you, you, you base who you are, your bravado, based on how well you play. And for some people, that can be hard, especially when you're in Europe. There's only two Americans, so you can't go out and act like you can't hide. You're typically the only two Americans in the town. So it was, it was a balancing act. You know, I learned to be a little more spiritual, try to understand that it's not who I am. It's just what I do for a living. So I think I, I navigated pretty well. How did you know that it was time for you to move on? Uh, that's a funny story in itself. So every summer, I knew when I retired, I didn't want to live in New York. So every summer, I would move somewhere different and see if that's somewhere I wanted to, you know, live when I retired. So I lived in Houston one year, uh, lived in Maryland, and then a good friend of mine had retired, moved to Tampa. So Tampa was close enough to Miami. So I actually drove from New York, stopped in Maryland, hang out a little bit with my people in D.C. and kept on going and uh, followed him to Tampa. He was sort of a mentor. You know, he you know, helped me with my finances on how to invest and, you know, just to be better with my money. So I kind of looked up to him. Uh, ended up investing in the house, thought it was just going to be an investment property. I had no idea. I had to pick the ceiling fans, the chrome molding, the handles on the doors, the floors, the toilets. So I signed for the house, and I was about to go back overseas. And they said, you don't want to go and come back and your house be wrong because you can't chase the contractor no more. So I said, okay, let me take the year off. 
Then I think I'm the next best interior designer because I got no <laughs> furniture. So I have this brand new house. I got to furnish it. But the, the, the trick was it was my brother's senior year of high school. I've never seen my brother play high school basketball. And we actually went to the same boarding school. So between the new house, having to furnish it, having to go down to the design center his senior year, I said, you know what, let me just take the year off. You know, I didn't think I was going to stop. I had a tough year in Italy where the business side really came out. So between that bad taste in my mouth, the house, the brother, I decided to take the year off. And then I fell into some opportunities. There was an MIT program in the auto industry where they needed more minority owners. So they had this two to five year, to me, strategic plan. If you did X, Y, and Z, you could possibly be a minority owner. So the guy who was the main recruiter, I played basketball, pick up basketball, and he kept recruiting me. Ah, man, I ain't selling no cars. I'm, I'm good. I might go into teaching. I might go into real estate. They flew me down to Deerfield Beach in Florida. I met Jim Moran, the founder of Toyota, and I still wasn't sure if it was something I wanted to do. But a long story short, I ended up going into the MIT program. I uh, was very good at it, but it wasn't to me uh, something I wanted to do. I was just good at it. It was the learning curve excited me. And I crushed it for about three or five years. I was next on the list to be a GM at a, a Toyota dealership, but I, I just walked away between my brother, and just some other opportunities. But that was sort of my transition, kind of cold turkey, if you're honest with you. I just didn't, you know, by the, by the year went by, it was almost a year and a half, and I had never played again. Kind of weird. Did you ever have any kind of, like, sadness, like, this is it, or? It, it's funny. The, the time I would miss it most was March Madness. That's when you kind of, everything is basketball, NCAA, and I remember in college, you know, just wanting to go to the tournament. That's when I missed it most. The NBA kind of changed its ideology, its format, and, you know, I had friends who played, so I kind of cheered for friends more than I did, you know, teams. You know, a college teammate went to, you know, play for the Lakers, Ron Artest, I grew up with in New York, so I rooted for them wherever they went. I kind of fell out of love of having an NBA team and just kind of watched some other stuff. It was Queer Eye for the Straight Guy was my favorite TV show back then. <laughs> I remember this like yesterday. <laughs> Uh, How did you get into the businesses that you're working with now? So the mentor of mine, uh, Gary Prince, uh, owned a gym in New York, 54th and Broadway. And at the time, I had just left the auto industry and didn't really know what the next transition was. He said, come to New York. You know, I teach you about the fitness industry. And as I was saying, he made me start off from the very beginning just handing out the towels. But I learned to understand the importance of customer service, good eye contact, greet somebody when they come into the studio. Then I moved into creating a schedule for the fitness classes. Then I went into, uh, I was my first real jump was corporate sales. And right across the street from 54th and Broadway is Bad Boy. So the bravado and the, to me, the discipline of an athlete, I just walked right up into Bad Boy. Can I speak to the AR person? And made a pitch. And that was my first big contract was Bad Boy. And I was like, yeah, it'd be a great opportunity for all your coworkers or your workers. You know, we live right, we're right across the street. Once they work, they can shower, go right back to work, or they can come before they actually go to work. And, you know, a lot more productive based on, you know, all the science behind fitness. And they would just bring me bags of bad boy stuff. Man, that was just, you know, that was my first real big hit. So <laughs> then I learned, you know, the corporate piece. And then uh, it's funny, I, I was dating, you, you probably remember uh, Deanna, a uh, girlfriend at the time, and I remember her. Punching my belly. I've never been overweight, but not realizing I'm not playing. I'm just sitting down at the desk. 
I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's not going to happen. So I got into spinning. And my first piece as a trainer, being on the other side, was a spin instructor. And I really enjoyed that piece of, you know, working out on a bike and just still giving people more of myself. But that's when I went into the training piece. And at this time, I still have my house in Tampa. So I went home one weekend, and a good friend of mine was a spin instructor. And she said, hey, they, they got this new gym coming out called Orange Theory. Won't you come by and drop off your resume? I was like, okay, cool. Wasn't spinning, but absolutely. The next day, they got into a van, and they went to Fort Lauderdale to meet the founder of Orange Theory. And I kind of raised my hand. I said, hey, can I, can I go in the van and, you know, go meet the founder of Orange Theory? So she asked her boss at the time, like, yeah, you know, if he's going to be a candidate to be a trainer, we would love him to go. So I went down there. I met Ellen Latham, kind of got the picture of what Orange Theory was. There was only two in the world at the time. And then when we came back to Tampa, I just started off as a coach. And wasn't really sure if training was going to be the next thing, but a young lady came to me and said I really impacted her life. She was off her diabetes medication. A1C levels had went down, and I really transformed my life. I was like, oh, I kind of like that feeling. So then I kind of put both feet into it, became a head trainer. And long story short, there was a gentleman I trained for three years. He was an anesthesiologist, went to Morehouse. He said, hey, I've watched you grow for three years in this industry. I want to purchase some. Would you relocate? I kind of shook him off like, yeah, man, okay. Within that next year, he buys the rights to build 12 in Atlanta and asks would I be a partner, not work for him, be a partner. But that's how I fell into the opportunity of Orange Theory. And then from there on, I just try to embrace my people, give them opportunities the way the opportunity was given to me. Now, sometimes it works out good, sometimes it doesn't. But that was sort of how I got into Orange Theory. That's almost 10 and a half years ago. So where are your Orange Theory locations? Uh, it's funny. I don't want to say we got bamboozled, but when we came to Georgia, the gentleman who's responsible for developing the area told us we had to buy three at a time. He monopolized everything in the perimeter. You couldn't get to Dunwoody. You couldn't get to Buckhead. You couldn't get to Midtown. He had all of those. So we have one in Cumming, which is up 400, one in Peachtree City, and one all the way in Columbus, Georgia, which is the borderline of... Alabama. So pretty spread out. So it's kind of challenging for me sometimes to get to them. So I really have to strategically plan my day to get to one or the other, at least two out of the three. And then we have a Red Line Athletics, which is more of a youth athletic training center. We have one in Roswell and one in Buford. So we have five total here in Georgia. Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about what uh, Red Line Athletics does? Red Athletics is a youth athletic training center. We focus on speed and agility. Uh, we have a, a partnership with, called, with a company called Fusionetics. So we try to understand the body mechanics or the body movement of a, of a young athlete, also to prevent them from having injuries. I think you see a lot of young athletes from 9 to 15 tear an LCL, uh, tear their Achilles, and you're trying to figure out why because they're not moving correctly. So that's one of the main things. We, we just try to improve them as an athlete, then also the skill training. So every sports specialist is either played professional lacrosse, soccer, football, basketball, in that particular field to help give that tutelage to the kids. But it's, for me, it's a great opportunity to give back to basketball, which is something I kind of didn't realize I missed until I actually got around it and got around the kids and was able to uh, be more a part of it. Are there any misconceptions that you would want to clear up about being an entrepreneur? I don't know if it's a misconception, but 
I know as an entrepreneur that all of a sudden you can't think you arrived. I'm usually the first one there, the last one to leave. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes people look at me like, you're the owner, you're the partner? Yeah, I'm mopping the floors. I'm doing whatever I feel that's necessary to help the business succeed. But the one thing I've learned over the course of maybe three to five years is you can't expect people to have the passion for your baby. Like, that's been something that I had to learn. You know, why wouldn't you do that? Because you see it, but they may not have the passion. They just may be a stop for them moving on to another career. Where to me, it's my passion. It's, it's an opportunity uh, to grow within this industry. So that part I've had to learn. It's been a little of a struggle, but I've, I've learned to kind of pull back that it's not asked of someone to have the same passion as you for something that you own. Uh, when you take a step back and reflect on your career and your business ventures, what are your thoughts and your feelings about that? Sometimes it's, it's amazing when I sometimes look at my passport just for uh, uh, reminisce and all the places I've been. And I, I couldn't imagine coming up as a kid that that would be something I'd be able to do. Um, to me, all my failures helped me become better, whether it was on the court, whether it was relationship-wise. Uh, I don't think I would change that, uh, so to speak. But to me, the, as I get older, the inner peace, the inner happiness is something I'm trying to really tap into. Uh, you know, as a, as a young black man, to me, sometimes you're just chasing the zeros, chasing the zeros, chasing the zeros, and really understanding it's about balance. What's wealth for you, what's success for you internally as opposed to what you think you should have based on comparison to others. So that part I've learned probably the last four to five years, just, you know, what's internally makes me happy and what internally do I feel is successful? Because I, I got no problem grinding, but sometimes I forget like, hey man, just take a step back and enjoy some of the things you, you've done and seen over the course of your years, whether it's basketball, whether it's, you know, in, in fitness. What is next? Or Abdul Fox? Wow, next. That's a good question. Uh, I always think I'm one person away from things becoming very easy. Uh, I got a chance to reconnect with a, a gentleman. We went to the same high school, and he's just way up with TNT, Time Warner, and just... Some of the projects he had going, I was shaking my head. Like, he had to leave our, our, our luncheon earlier to have a conversation with AT&T. I mean, so trying to get involved in his network and see the things he's doing just kind of sparked me again that, yeah, this is great. Orange Theory is great. Redline is great. But I, I still think I'm young enough to maybe venture to something else based on the people I surround myself with. So always trying to, to me, upgrade my network, if that makes sense, because uh, I just don't know. I always envision myself living in Europe, so we had a conversation about that. I mean, I tried to buy the hat, one of the apartments in Spain. So I, I don't know. So I, what's next, I think, is just internal happiness, and I still have a, a, a love, a grind to be successful in what it is defined for me, and I don't know if that's going to continue to be with Orange Theory Redline or whether I bump into someone who kind of takes me somewhere else on another venture, which I'm, you know, it's exciting for me still get up at 5 a.m., 4 a.m. to do what I do and doesn't feel like work. People, are, oh, do you ever sleep? I was like, well, I'm excited at what I do. And when you come in the door at 5 a.m., it's got to be the same person when you come in at 2 or 3. I got to be the same excited person. Yeah, I'm like a big kid running around here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you have that energy because I do not. And, and it's funny, uh, 
I don't want to say it's a gift, but you know, from the podcast that you do that, that I always listen to, you know, it's taught me to wake up every day, look at my hands, and how can I serve? It's kind of what I keep reminding myself. How can I serve? So, if someone says, "Hey, can you train me today at two? and I'm like, "Ah, I look at my hands. How can I serve? Yes, I'll be there. So if I continue to do that, I think other doors will open up for me, and it keeps me, me just as joyful and excited. Whether I'm at Orange Theory, whether I'm at Redline, whether I'm just bumping to someone, you know, a member in, in Publix. Would you say a key to your success has been relationships and networking? Uh, relationships has definitely been, uh, I would say, the key. Uh, you know, Michelle and Dr. Hames are just phenomenal. And had I not formed that relationship, because they were members first, and that's how the relationship formed, and you just don't know who you're talking to or who may present an opportunity for you. Now, had I been boisterous, had I been cocky, when I trained Dr. Haynes, maybe he not have presented the opportunity to me. So I'm always just trying to, you know, speak first. And I think networking and relationships is key, but I think it has to be organic. I don't, like I tried the whole networking thing and it, it seemed fake for me. I was like, ah, but I've always liked that. So why? So that part, I just try to make it organic, whether I'm reading you for the first time, whether I think you might be able to help me. I'm always just trying to figure out how can I serve you first and maybe that'll be reciprocal at some point. Any advice for people who are out there trying to become entrepreneurs and start their own businesses? Wow. Uh, one, it may sound corny, but just to me, never give up. Always believe in yourself because you're going to have a lot of people that tell you just the opposite. Uh, I just remember coming up through sports how I wasn't the most talented, but I had a work ethic that was pretty darn good. And I wish I'd have met someone who pushed me even more because I already had it. And then sometimes, you know, when I go back and, and try to reflect, I was like, well, maybe I didn't work as hard as I thought I did when I could have, you know, I listened to Kobe's story or some of these people I know got up at 5 a.m. And I was like, huh, I never did that. But if someone told me that that's what I should have done, I would have did it because I just believed in outworking people. So I would say the advice is just believe in yourself. Surround yourself around people who will be truthful and in, in giving you reflection, not what they think is best for them or you. Uh, to me, that's a, a win-win. But it's hard for some people to tell you the truth. And, you know, it may creep you at the time, but for sometimes I think it benefits you. Thank you so much. Hey! For letting me interview you. <laughs> Hopefully I was give you some insight on my little world. Um, but again, sports, business, I... I I think it's the same work ethic, just I call it a different arena. But again, I'm trying to surround myself with people who are better than me, who've already done it, and uh, always just trying to learn. So thank you for the opportunity just to share a conversation with a young sister doing something different, getting out of your comfort zone. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's phenomenal. That, to me, is courageous. So I, I applaud thank you. you. I applaud you. So thanks for having me. How can people um, see what you're doing and get information about your business uh, I'm definitely not a, a, a shy on Facebook. So my name is Abdul, A-B-D-U-L. My last name is Fox. So you can find me on Facebook. Uh, Instagram is AFOX2525. Uh, and I'm always just trying to build a brand, whether it's myself or, you know, the companies I represent. But I, I've never, you know, shy when someone introduces something to me for the first time. I should hit you back. And, you know, as long as the, it's a respect thing and I have no problem just talking to people and, and seeing what can come in, in, my, in my, my circle. Stay tuned for the mic drop moment.
If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And guess what? It's free. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. There were three key elements of Abdul's story for the mic drop moment. Hard work, relationships, and humbly serving others. The same work ethic that it took Abdul to make it to the league is the same work ethic that has helped him in his business endeavors. That being said, work-life balance is important. You have to take time to enjoy moments with the special people in your life. Another part of Abdul's success stems from the organic relationships he built over time. Some of your biggest opportunities can come from people you know or people you know who know somebody else. Despite everything he had done in his life, professional athlete, lived in many countries, owned nice homes, Abdul still remained humble. He was humble enough to start from the bottom and really learn the business. And from listening to him talk, I think he finds the most joy in serving others. That's something we can all do better. If you enjoyed listening to Abdul's story, there's more to come. Subscribe to the You Talk, I'll Listen podcast so you won't miss it. You can also download episodes from previous weeks. And if a story you've heard moves you, I'd love to hear about it. Check out the show notes for info on how to drop us a line. Grace and blessings. Blessings.